thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up for a Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. Here we are, up for a chat about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm Cindy O'Meara, and I'm here by myself this this week because Kim's in New Zealand. Uh, she um, has taken a week to go to New Zealand, and Karen is doing some really important things, and that is getting everybody ready to go to New Zealand. So we have our New Zealand trip coming up. Uh, and um, we're very excited about it. So we're hiking through the Queen Charlotte Pass and there'll be some other hikes that we're doing and some pampering and, and of course, doing it the way uh, the princess likes it done, and that is first class. So um, that's what we'll be probably talking about um, maybe not next week on our Up for a Chat but probably the week after and, and let you know how things are going and maybe talk to some of the people that are, are going with it. But what I would, I thought I would do today, seeing as I was running solo, and I don't have anybody to interview. Um, I, I had um, somebody to interview, but they were unable to do it. So what I thought that I would do is talk to you about um, my mornings and my days and what I, what I do. So Kim always talks about morning rituals, and my morning ritual um, lately is to ride my bike down to the beach, have a swim. So I swim about 1.2 kilometres with the Malulabar beach bums. Then I walk back and have a little chat with everybody, have a coffee with my daughter and my husband, and we usually do the crossword or we might do a gratitude journal on occasion, Um, but the crossword seems to be taking over the gratitude journal at the moment in coffee, Uh, and then uh, basically come home and get ready for work. But today is Sunday, and I did go down to the beach. We've had a lot of rain here in Malulabar, and the waterways are filthy, and I have been warned not to swim in Malulabar Beach after a heavy rain due to herbicides and pesticides and heavy metals coming through the river system from what people have um, put onto their land. And um, so I, I was actually warned by people who worked at the University of the Sunshine Coast who said that they measure the water quality after, you know, in Malulabar Beach Bay um, all the time. And they just said, beware. So I decided today that I would just have a coffee and then I went up to the farm and I met up with some friends that I've walked with, you know, we've walked uh, for probably 25, 30 years with each other, Um, but we've all gone our separate ways now, Um, mainly we don't live in the same town, so we got together up at the farm and I said to them, don't bring anything. So I went out into my garden and I picked everything green as well as tomatoes and herbs and mixed lettuces and and warrigal greens Um, and I'm going to talk to you about warrigal greens because warrigal greens are uh, an important free food that you can find around Australia if you live in Australia because it's a native to Australia but I I picked um, all of my greens and my tomatoes I think I said that I went down um, to the the chooks and and got a dozen eggs from them and then I made a, um, and I fried up some onions and some garlic. Um, I laid that down on a dish, like a, a platter for the oven. I then had steamed my warrigal greens. And the way I steam my warrigal greens is I just put them in a colander and then pour boiling water over them because it's just, they just need a little bit of 
time to have heat on them to get rid of any oxalates are in them. So what's an oxalate? An oxalate will bind with minerals. So if you eat it, you don't get the minerals. So what I do is I just put that hot water on it and make sure that they're wilted just a couple of seconds and um, that releases all their minerals. So I laid that on top of that. And then I bought some Prosciutto from uh, Aldi and I buy it from Aldi because it is the only um, cured meat that I can find that has just pork and just salt and it's Parma. So I think it's $4.95 for 100 grams. So, you know, you're paying $49 a kilo for it, but it's, it's the only one I know. And so I laid down on top of the wilted greens that, that beautiful um, Parma prosciutto and then um, put my salt and pepper on there and then I did a dozen eggs, poured that over the top, and with a few herbs and then threw it in the oven for like, I think, 15, 20 minutes. Then I made a salad of all the beautiful greens and I love nasturtiums at the moment. So I colored it with nasturtiums and tomatoes and I had a bit of red pepper and cucumber that I put in my mixed green salad. But the most important thing I did was I made um, a heap of uh, like um, condiments. So I made a pesto um, and I made that with warrigal greens and my inky inchy oil, salt, pepper, apple cider vinegar, as well as, what else do I put in there? Salt and pepper. And, and nuts. I put some nuts in there. Now, I'm not growing them on my farm yet. I had to bring those nuts up. And, of course, the inky inchy is, I do import that from South America, so I'm not growing that on the farm. But we are growing olive trees, so you never know. I might get some expressed olive oil. Um, so I made a Warrigal, uh, Warrigal Greens pesto. Then I made a mayonnaise and I made that. I went down to my lemon tree. I had some lemons uh, and I had um, more eggs that I used for that, my inky inchy oil, salt, pepper, and all my fresh herbs. So it was a bit of an aioli. So I had that. Um, Tania had made up a relish with tomatoes from the garden. And uh, what else did I make up? Um, I think they were the three condiments that I made up. And so we had uh, a beautiful egg and warrigal green um, with uh, cured meat omelette, I guess you could call it, or a a quiche with no flour (laughs) and a beautiful salad with condiments. And that was um, our wonderful lunch as well as as walking. And, And there's something beautiful about having food that you have produced or you you haven't really produced, you've planted the seeds and Mother Nature has produced it and we've had beautiful rains here on the Sunshine Coast and beautiful humidity and so our lettuces and everything are growing at an unprecedented rate. It's quite amazing. But there's something about that. And the farm for me, my 60-acre farm at the back of the hinterland of uh, the Sunshine Coast, just uh, west of Mullaney in a, a little community called Reeseville, has been a dream of mine for a long, long time. I remember when I fa- first started thinking about it, I was camping and hiking through the Colorado Rockies. So I had done a year at the University of Colorado, and that's where I learned anthropology. And I had joined the hiking club and I did many hikes through national parks in Utah and Colorado and Arizona. And um, I really got into hiking. Hiking became almost an obsession with me. And I had learnt from a girl um, that I used to have lunch with at the University of Colorado. I learnt um, about this thing called um, Outward Bound. And she told me all about it. She said it was the most amazing thing she'd ever done. And she did, he, she did a month with Outward Bound. 
So after I'd finished my year of university and, and the summer was coming, or after the summer, I worked all summer to make money for it. I then, in September and October, so I did for two months, I travelled to a, a little town called Crystal Butte in the Colorado Rockies. And then from there, we um, hiked into a place called Goa, which was a um, research station that had had been abandoned and there were some huts and shacks in there and that was our base for two months and we travelled via hiking um, through uncharted territories. These are the days when you never saw anybody in the Colorado Rockies. It was amazing. Through We, we, used, uh, we didn't have GPS so we used uh, maps and we used compasses and that's how we found our way around and often we didn't have trails. We weren't on trails. We would be up um, slopes that were just rocks and have to find our way um, to certain destinations. Um, and we, we, it was quite amazing um, that two months there. And I did three days of solo where um, I was put into a region um, and this time we had moved to Utah at this point and I was put into a, a region and I believe, I can't even remember, it was Zion National Park if I remember right. And um, I, I w- had to be there for three days with a sleeping bag and a water bottle. And that's basically all I had. And to be alone for three days and not speak and not have anything to do, um, I couldn't hike far because they give you a certain region to be in. Um, yeah, it was, was an interesting, was interesting. I actually snuck in a needle and thread. Um, and so I would make jewellery from all the seeds uh, and so, yeah, I guess I I just figured things out for that three days of what to do. And I also, at night, you know, you were alone at night and you'd hear uh, coyote, you'd hear, uh, you knew there were snakes around. Um, and you just, I remember being under the stars and at one time I got a great fear uh, and I learned to handle my fear in that there was no one there to help me or to protect me and I had to figure out how to to stop that fear and it was the knowledge of you are the only person out here, there is nothing you can do um, and there's no point in having fear um, and you should, um, and I calmed that down through breathing and just looking at the night sky and realising the absolute um, in enormity of where I was and what I was doing. So that was um, doing Outward Bound. It was an amazing time. But it was on that three-day that I decided that I loved being in nature and that I wanted um, my own little farm with a garden. Now, this was 1980. I don't know if it was 1981 or 1980. I think it must have been 81. And, and this is what I wanted to do. And my parents owned 13 acres in Bendigo and I thought I'll go live on that 13 acres in the little hut out there and I'll create a veggie garden. But once I got home, I wanted to get back to university and I never ended up doing it. And I remember being halfway through university and being very frustrated with university and with what I was learning in nutrition and it wasn't what I had been um, taught at the University of Colorado with cultural anthropology and how we ate foods um, and how we survived as a result of our culture and tradition. 
And I was really frustrated. I remember this day really well and I was really frustrated and I got on my bike and I, in those days, I was at Warren Ponds in Geelong and you could ride your bike to the beach. You could ride to Torquay. There weren't many cars on the road. And I rode my bike towards Torquay, found a secluded beach and I remember just sitting on the beach thinking, what am I going to do? What I, You know, this nutrition is not what I expected. I can't be a dietitian. I don't agree with what they're saying. But I had this this thought come to me and the thought was why don't you create a health farm why don't you do a health farm um, teaching the principles of what you've learned so that was my dream and it was called the Tavol health farm and I, and I got Tavol because my maiden name was love it and it was love it spelt backwards so it was t-e-v-o-l Tivol um, health farm and I always remember that day And then, you know, life happened. I finished my nutrition degree, met my husband, had children, had babies, started a business. And it wasn't until that business really took off that I was able to buy my farm, which I bought April 6th, 2015, 2 p.m. I'll never forget when that happened. And I knew that that 60 acres was mine. And so I've had it nearly two and a half years now. And um, we've done a lot of infrastructure. We first thing I did was create a beautiful um, cottage, and it's a rustic cottage. It's not not what you would say, you know, first class. It's a rustic cottage. So I polished the concrete floors. It was an old dairy, and I clayed the brick, which was Besser brick, and um, I put a kitchen in, and a you know, and it's all very basic. And I enjoyed just going up to that. 60 acres and walking around it and then I went away for a month in the middle of summer in the humidity and the heat and I went away for a month and I came back and I couldn't find the paths that I had hiked on I couldn't it had been overgrown it had become Jurassic Park overnight well in that month and I thought that I'd made a mistake I thought I've made a mistake I should never have done 60 acres it's too much And so what I started to do was ask other people for help. And I remember asking a goat farmer for help, saying, well, maybe goats could eat all these weeds down. And But he he was a goat farmer that believed in Roundup and glyphosate, which I wanted an organic farm. I didn't want to be spraying something that was killing our gut microbiome and um, had some really nasty things about it. So, you know, that went beside the wayside. And so I asked several people to come and help me. And then I asked Costa. And for the Australians in the audience, you will know who Costa is. Costa is a famous gardener here in Australia. And I asked him to come and and come up to the farm and maybe be a partner with me and create something up here. But Costa's very busy traveling and, and doing television and everything like that. And he said, just down the road from you is a lady by the name of Marag Gamble. I bet if you ask Marag what to do, she'll be able to tell you. And Marag came to my farm with a different insight than anybody else. And as she walked around it and I would say to her, what am I going to do with this weed and what am I going to do with that weed? And she said, they're not weeds, they're primaries. They're, they're there to stabilise your slip country because I'm in slip country. They stabilise the land. If you plant something else that's a primary, then they won't grow there. And so I really learned some valuable information from her. And I remember at the end of our couple of hours together and us walking through our beautiful, my beautiful 60 acres, she gave me real hope. 
She said, Cindy, there's a couple of things that you can do. Number one, you can hire yourself a farmer, you know, or go into a partnership with a farmer who knows how to work this land um, and and you can put your infrastructure in and, and help you with this because you don't have the time. Or she says there's a lot of young men and women that want to get back on the land and they can't afford the land and they want to start growing their own food but they can't afford it. And uh, so you could lease out acres, you know, lease out an acre to these people who would like to, um, you know, work on the land, grow their own food, but they don't have that opportunity because they don't have that, their room in their, their own place or they don't have the money. And I remember going back to my husband and saying, well, what do you think we should do? And he said, well, why don't we try and, and, and get a farmer? So we um, have a HR company. So we went to the HR company and we asked them to put out an ad for a farmer. So I remember Sally from our HR company, which is HRM, I remember her coming to us and said, tell me what you want, Cindy. What do you want from this farmer? And so I told her and she put the ad in. She wrote it according to what I wanted and she put the ad in and we had 17 farmers apply for the job. And we got it down to five farmers and from those five farmers we got it down to two. And then I asked, because my son was going to work with this farmer, uh, I asked my, my son to choose from those two. And from those two, um, he chose Scott Robinson, who had um, a consulting business about um, how to plan a farm and how to, what you can do on a farm. So it, you know, it worked really well. And um, Scott's been with me now for 18 months. And the difference between on that farm from the day he started to where it is now, the infrastructure that he's put in, you know, water is a, sp- a very, very precious commodity. And so we made sure we had enough water. We built another dam. We um, uh, we put tanks in. So everything, every bit of water is collected so that if we have a dry spell, we have water um, for not only the cottage but also the cattle that we hold there, the chickens and the plants that we've planted. And since Scott's been with us, we've planted 600 food-bearing trees. We've planted the most amazing garden, which I talked to you about and what was in at the beginning of this podcast. Um, you know, we've got the, the cows there that fertilise the land and they drop their poo and they eat the grass and then the chickens come through and they scatter the poo and they um, eat up all the parasites from the poo so that we don't have parasites and we don't have a problem with parasites because where we are in Reesville, um, it's a breeding ground for parasites because it's green and lush and wet and everything grows there. It's um, And the really good thing about um, on the Sunshine Coast, and especially for people who are listening that live in America and you live in a very short growing system, um, time frame because you might live in Iowa or in the northern parts of the USA where, you know, there's snow on the ground and it's cold and you can't, you can't grow in, in those periods. We have a 12-month growing season. It, even in the winter, uh, we have foods that, that grow. And, but in the summer, it's like I said, it turns into Jurassic Park. So Scott has um, really done the infrastructure with water. Um, we do permaculture with our plants. We do holistic farming with our animals. Uh, we did have pig, pigs and ducks, but the ducks were eating their eggs and the pigs weren't really doing their job and we just decided there were more effort than what they were doing and we would do it at a later date. So we, um, we only have cows and, um, and chickens now. 
So um, this year we decided, okay, what can we do other than have this as a family play pl- place? <laughs> what can we do with the farm? And we decided that education is something that Changing Habits does. And so we decided to create some education days. And we opened um, up the farm um, for an open day for my education students uh, back in February. And I couldn't believe how many of my students showed up from the Functional Nutrition Academy to see what we were doing on the farm and everybody loved what we were doing. So um, just this month, uh, we decided we would do an open day um, for the farm and we opened it up for an open day, but an education day more than an open day. And we put it out to my community and we, we, we said 50 was all we could do and within 24 hours we had sold 50 tickets. So we decided the following Saturday we would do the same thing and I think we had 47 people come to that. And we had people come from Tasmania, northern Queensland, western Queensland. People came from far and wide to see what we were doing on our farm. And remember, we've only just started. I, like my dream for this in five years when we have um, our trees producing is, is to have a farm to gate to um, have maybe a cafe up there and a coffee shop where people can come and and learn about the farm and buy food from us because it's local organic food is what, um, you know, is what what we are doing um, and seasonal. And, um, you know, that's my dream for it. And I always wanted to do a health farm, you know, going back to my 21, 22, I was probably when I came up with the health farm, Tuval Health Farm, or retreat, as they're now called. They were called health farms in those days, but now I would call it a retreat. And I, I know I bought that land for it, but I, my husband, Howard, who runs and is the CEO of Changing Habits, so while I'm creative and doing all the creative stuff in Changing Habits, my husband is the CEO, and um, I remember him saying, I'm just not sure I can do a health retreat you know, first of all, we've got to build it, then we've got to maintain it, and we've got to fill it, and we've got to, um, you know, staff it, and we have to have an amazing team up there. And he said, I'm just not sure with what's happening with Changing Habits and the Functional Nutrition Academy and what's with WED and everything that we're doing. I'm just not sure that that's something that I can also uh, take on. And I, you know, I took that on and I said, yep, you're right. Uh, That is fair enough. So, uh, even though that is a dream, um, and it may happen, but it's just not happening uh, right now. But let me tell you how I and I do this thing called manifesting, and um, and I th- and I and I do this at my health retreats when I do a health retreat um, a- a- in Noosa, and I do that every March. I I actually just don't teach about nutrition. I teach about what is it that you want because I can tell you a million things about nutrition and I can tell you all the wonderful things that is possible, but unless you have a dream or a goal um, and you know how to get there, then sometimes you, you get a little bit lost. It's like a, a plane that gets in the air and doesn't really know where it's going. Um, it can wander anywhere, whereas it, if it has a destination, it will head for that destination, although it might have to do some deviations on the way, it will eventually get to that destination. And I think sometimes it's important to have a destination so that the journey um, is something that you can enjoy. 
And so one of the things that um, I learned very early on um, was something called manifesting. And um, I, I didn't know it was called manifesting. I just knew that um, I had goals and dreams. It wasn't until I met um, Dr. Michelle Nielsen and she wrote the book Manifesting Matisse. And we have had Michelle um, on this podcast and she went through how, you know, manifesting and how she did it in her story. But it wasn't until I met her and listened to her speak and re- read her book and acted on her book and did that manifesting that I believe the farm became a reality. And I was talking to my friend Ricky, who I've had breakfast with this morning, And she said, you need to tell them what you did with manifesting because you always talked about your dream about the farm and we always went looking in Mullaney and Montville and it was just something that you knew you had to do. You just didn't know how you were going to do it, but you knew if you put the right steps into place that you were able to do it. So the first thing, and I I have written a vision uh, for my farm um, and I wish I'd, I'd brought it up. It's really hard to speak, <laughs> you know, how what we do in um, up for a chat while one's speaking, the other one will be looking up something. So it's really hard to speak and look up what I want to look up, and that is the vision for my farm. But maybe I'll write that in the notes so that you know what the vision for the farm was. So the first thing that um, I always do in manifesting um, something, and especially my farm, was that I had um, – a vision, and what was my vision was uh, it is July 31st, 2015, and I have bought my farm. And I think I said 50 acres. I'm pretty sure the manifesting that I did was 50 acres. And I did this in detail, but it was um, it is July 20, it is July 31st, 2015, and, and I have bought my 50 acres. Uh, and I, I wrote exactly what I wanted with that 50 acres. And then I wrote just a little bit of a dialogue of of what that looked like. So my vision is very small and I remember to say it and I and I can say it over and over and over again. It is July 31st, 2015. I have purchased my 50 acres in the hinterland of the Sunshine Coast. Let's say that was what it was. And I would say that over in my mind and I would be thinking it and then I would write what that day looked like if I had my farm. And I remember I had written it in a book. I don't have um, a vision board. I have a vision book. And I remember, and, and I think this is the most amazing thing, and I may have already said this on the podcast, but I remember seeing a gate on a farm in a magazine and I cut that gate out and I posted, pasted that in my book. And I also pasted a worm farm and chalks, I pasted vegetable pictures of vegetable gardens and herb gardens and cottages and fences and it was amazing what I, I put in the book. And I've also got my farm to gate in the book, which I haven't got yet, but I do have that in my vision book. And I I did it all and and then did the rest of the steps that are in Manifesting Matisse, which include give it up to the universe, um, continue to act on how you're going to get it, do a gratitude journal, um, review and, you know, rewrite what you want. So there were some other steps that were in it. Uh, But I remember this this, this, um, gate that I put up and I bought my farm and we did clearing because there was a lot of lantana 
There was um, places I hadn't got to in the corners of my farm. But up the front, top of the farm, there was privet, which is a weed here in Australia. Um, and the, the privet was holding um, ticks, which were getting on our cattle. And therefore, it wasn't um, good for having organic cattle. So we decided we needed to cut the privet down. And in between all the privet at the top of the farm, there was an old gate. And I looked at that gate and I went back to my book and I looked at the picture of the gate in the book and they were identical. And I just went, this is what manifesting can do. This is um, the power of having a, a vision and a goal and acting on that vision and goal, even putting pictures out of what you want and, and just working towards that. And, that, and that's you know, how, I, how I did that. And the importance of the farm is not only for my family, but the importance of the farm is also um, everything that I've, I, I want to do, and that is to eat organic food and to have na- native foods on my, on my land or the foods that are seasonal and native to this area. And at the beginning of the year, um, I'm now going to go on to what's been happening on the farm lately. So we did the open days. But at the beginning of the year, Sheridan, my, one of the nutritionists in Changing Habits, comes to me and says, the venue that I wanted for my wedding, which was the OBOB Hall, is booked up for the whole year and I can't get married this year in the OBOB Hall. I'm wondering if I can have... Um, get married on your farm, Cindy. And that, that to me, I, to me, that was just the best thing she could have asked me. And I was so excited, um, to have that happen. And that did happen the 30th of September this year. We, we had the most beautiful wedding on, on our farm. And then people have seen on Instagram, um, that wedding. And I, I even got a, a, a message from somebody in England a week after the wedding saying, can I please book um, your farm for my wedding. Um, we've been looking in Mullaney. She lives in London, but she is a, um, a Sunshine Coast girl. We've been looking for a place in Mullaney to have our, our wedding. So, you know, these things um, started to happen. And then um, just last week, we were um, contacted by a group that create a, uh, what is it called? A farm to table gestational, uh, gestational um, meal. Uh, with Dale Chapman, who is a uh, Aboriginal chef, and she only uses native foods, and she uses them from the the farm that she's she's on. So they've asked to do an event on the 9th of December this year on our farm, and so all these things that are enabling the farm to continue uh, are happening, and and it's very you know, very exciting. So what else I want to talk to you about? Um, is is basically a philosophy that I've lived by uh, a, a lot of my life, and not only is it a philosophy, but uh, it, and it, it's a, I guess a rudder to steer my life with, and it's also the philosophy around my functional nutrition academy program that I do. Uh, it's also a philosophy that we try and live by as much as we can um, in this in this life. 
And it was really funny. I, 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 I drive an electric car, by the way, um, but I'm driving my husband's car at the moment, which is a diesel car. And I pulled up to a petrol station to fill it up with diesel and I went into the petrol station to, to pay for it. Um, and the guy asks me if I'd like um, two chocolate bars. So there might have been cherry ripes or, you know, just normal chocolate bars. And he said they that I could have them for free, that it was part of the petrol. I said, oh, don't worry, I don't eat those things. He said, well, how about that water bottle of water? I said, sorry, I don't use plastic water bottles. I, you know, I, I have my own water bottle and I fill that up. Um, and, I, and I just, I felt like a hypocrite because here I had filled up a car with diesel and then I said, I don't eat chocolate and I don't have, I don't um, buy plastic water bottles. <laughs> And, and you, so that what I'm trying to say here is I can't live my philosophy 100% and live in a modern world. It's just impossible. But I try my best. I really, really try my best in trying to live in this modern world and do the best that I can. And we can't do any better than what we can. Um, and so this philosophy that I live by is the philosophy of vitalism, where we look at the holistic nature of everything. And I do this, I, and let's just talk about it uh, with health. And I know that you all know what is happening out there in our world. Our world is not well. Both the planet itself but the human beings are getting sicker and sicker and our children are bearing the very brunt of this. And I was listening to this doctor recently um, who has been a doctor for over 30 years and she said when she went through medical school she didn't hear of celiac disease it was just kind of a a thing that they they went oh, well there you know this tells you a little bit there was there were no the autoimmune diseases were not what they are today uh, we didn't see autism as a, a big thing now this is just 30 years ago she said what we were looking at was heart disease di- maybe diabetes and cancer and you know things like that but she said she remembered a world where those things that we now see as, as they are epidemics um, were not even in their study. It might have been something they looked at for five or ten minutes, which I, I remember too. I've been a nutritionist for 30, you know, 37 years ago I started my degree and started to learn about food and nutrition. And celiac disease was hardly spoken about. Autoimmune diseases were not talked about. We did do heart disease. I remember that. We didn't even discuss cancer. We did do diabetes. Um, but if I go back to what I learned, it was very basic on, on what we were learning in nutrition. We didn't, the fact that I did anthropology through the University of Colorado was, I guess, one of the most important groundings that I could have ever done because it actually encompassed the, the philosophy of vitalism where we looked at um, how did humans survive. So we have evolutionary bodies. The only way we can survive in an, an evolutionary body is to mimic our evolutionary lifestyle because this modern lifestyle is what is causing the problem. And this modern lifestyle is we're inside, we don't see sunshine, we're in, we sit down, we're not standing up, we eat foods out of packages that may look like food, smell like food, taste like food, but isn't food. 
We put sunscreens on our skin. We wear clothing that might be nylon or rayon or synthetic fabrics that don't allow our skin to breathe. We use chemicals in our kitchens and our laundries. We um, drink water that has chlorine and fluoride in it. We think that pregnancy is a disease because you've got to have scans and when the child's born, it's got to have vitamin K and because, I don't know, because we've lost the reality that we survived and we survived well to this point without the diseases of modern life, of our modern life. And those diseases include heart disease, cancer, diabetes, autoimmune diseases, autism, Asperger's, asthma, allergies, food allergies, gastrointestinal problems, celiac disease, Crohn's disease, you know, and I could go on. There is so many. And as my aunt died of Bud Chiari, you know, like there are diseases out there that only there are a couple of people with them. I have a friend and their daughter has a genetic disease and only 600 people in the world have been diagnosed with it and that disease is where she produces melatonin the night um, neurotransmitter in the day and she produces serotonin at night so her her everything is flipped around and of course that poses its own problems and so she has to take stimulants in the day and downers at night to sleep and you know that you can't live a healthy life doing that but it's it's a way of living and if you can't do it any other way so the philosophy of vitalism is where we and culture and anthropology is where we take our evolutionary body and we fake the evolutionary lifestyle making sure that you get out into the sunshine making sure that your water is filtered and you're getting good filtered water. Staying away from the grocery stores and the packaged foods and getting back to real foods. Get out and exercise or move. Clean your house, even that's movement. Walk somewhere, um, but get out and move and start moving in some way. It doesn't have to be planned exercise. It can be just movement where... You're doing stuff and you may be doing it at a faster pace. So by faking um, all these things in a modern lifestyle for our evolutionary body, we're able to give the body the right resources. And if we don't interfere with the body and we give it the right resources, it wants to be healthy. It, It knows how to be healthy. It knows how to maintain a homeostasis so you can be healthy. But if you're not doing these things, then the only way the body can deal with it is by doing certain things in order to compensate. And sometimes those compensations um, can, you know, visualize or become a reality into dis-ease. And that's what disease is. It's dis-ease. The body is not in ease and in homeostasis, but it's out of whack. And it doesn't matter where you are in your health journey. If you start to put these things into play, then you are going to start to get better. And this doctor that I was talking to you about, who's been, you know, a doctor for over 30 years, what she's realizing is the importance of sleep. And she's a neurologist, by the way. 
And, um, she, it, I, and I think, I'm not sure if I talked about it in our last, um, no, I didn't talk about it in our last podcast. I actually talked about it in our Functional Nutrition Academy. Um, I, I, I do a, a, a webinar with them and I talked about it with them. And, but you know what? In my notes, I will put you on to this doctor because it's really worth listening to because she says we have an epidemic of no sleep. She says she has, she remembers when she was at university and going through medical school, they were talking about sleep and sleep apnea and they were presented with a very fat man um, who was the typical person that would have sleep apnea. And what she was beginning to realise is that as a neurologist, she was finding uh, her patients were not sleeping and they were young girls or young men. Um, they weren't the typical person that had sleep apnea. So they were young girls, young men, slim, and they were having sleep apnea, but they weren't having REM sleep as well, So, which is rapid eye movement sleep, which is a really important time in, in our sleep where we do our healing. And what she found is that when she got people sleeping again, and when they started to go start doing REM again, rapid eye movement sleep, then she found that what almost the body had the ability to go back and remember the healings it needed to do. So like I said, I, I probably aren't explaining this very well, but I will put the notes um, of this doctor on there so that you can listen to this because sleep is really important and we don't take the time to sleep. You know, I'd rather have sleep than go out at night. That's that's me um, because I love getting up early in the morning. My favourite time to socialise rather than at night is in the morning. And like I said at the beginning of this um, podcast is I get up in the morning, I ride my bike down to the beach, I swim. That's my social time. That's when I get to really enjoy the people um, that I've met down the beach, My the Malolabar Beach Bums people, uh, that's when I do my socialization. And then at home, we very much in, encapsulate as a family. So we have family nights um, where we all, you know, make up beautiful foods. And, and so we'll do a family night. Well, my husband and I will just be home by ourselves or my daughter might make something for us. So getting back into our rituals and back to the way uh, things were for our evolutionary body and eating real foods again. I was asked yesterday to do a 10, 15-minute presentation to a group of young people who had lost um, one of their friends to suicide. Beautiful young girl, um, just had the prime of her life, um, but obviously felt that um, things were not worth living for. And she had tried to commit suicide once and she didn't succeed and then she succeeded on the second time. And I'm talking to these young people about mental illness and, uh, and I'm talking to the importance of not just looking at the head when there is a mental illness, but to look at the whole body and that I talked to them about the fact that there was a neck and a very thick neck at that that actually connected their brain to their body and that there was a flow of energy, information, foods, chemicals and resources that went between the body and the head and that the there was this new this connection that we're now learning between the blood between the brain and the body and the gut especially and the importance of 
feeding the body the right foods stop interfering with it so it can be healthy. And that's the, the, the gist of the, of the philosophy of vitalism is, is feeding it the right resources. And that's not just food. That's everything that we've been talking about. And, um, and stop interfering with it. And what's interfering with it? Well, when you get sick, you take a Panadol because you can't handle the pain or you don't want to have the fever, or you don't have time to be sick, or you don't want the mucus, or you have a headache, or what you know, whatever it might be that you take that or you take antibiotics. Yes, there are times that we need these things. Don't get me wrong. But we are a pill-popping society. And as long as we are pill-popping at home, um, and I said this a couple of weeks ago, then and we have a drug um, culture at home, then... We're never going to get rid of that drug culture we have in the street. But as I said to these young people, when if mental illness is a, an issue with them, then don't just look at the brain and taking medications. Look at the health of the body and start getting your body healthy and start feeding it the right resources. And um, it, you know, you will see some changes come about. You will you will see. Um, your body starts to heal and then your brain starts to heal and you start thinking uh, different things. We now know that the microbiota or the, and the microbiome, which sits within our um, gastrointestinal tract, has a lot to do with not only physical health but mental health. And when we follow our evolutionary body and we eat and we do the things that our evolutionary body needs, uh, then it will make sure that those bugs are doing everything that they're meant to be doing, which is making our vitamin B and our vitamin K, helping us digest our food, absorb our food, our immune system, communication with cells. Then when that is all working, then our brain starts to work properly. We get all the right neurotransmitters. Remembering that your microbiota does make your aromatic amino acids, which are the precursors to your brain's neurotransmitters, serotonin, dopamine, noradrenaline. It's, it's so important. We also have a vagus nerve that goes between, that attaches to the gut and the brain. Um, a lot of our immune system is in our gut. So, um, and we know that at night, this is another thing that happens at night, uh, it's like a flush goes over our brain that cleans our brain out. And I guess, I guess where I want to do now is um, towards the end of the podcast is kind of come full circle and go back to, well, what are your hopes and your dreams? How are you going to achieve them if you don't have the energy and the health to do it? Um, you, I know it's, it's not about going out and buying a 60-acre farm, but maybe you can grow some foods in your own backyard Maybe you can scale it down and have it in pots on your veranda. I have a really good friend, her name's Kate, and um, Kate lives in an apartment with very, no green grass, no, no garden, no, um, you know, nothing there. But she does have some open space um, where she has got pots, and in those pots she grows lettuces and tomatoes and um, all of her herbs, like, and every time I go there, she cuts herbs for me and gives them to me. She's got rosemary and coriander and parsley and oh, what else has she got? She's got rocket growing in there, and she grows it in a, an apartment block on a on or an apartment with with concrete. 
And going back to those foods and eating them on a daily basis helps us detoxify, helps us get rid of heavy metals. It's like taking my green powder, um, but in a fresh way and by, by taking them. So, and, and getting back into the sun, that's another way of getting back into the sun and looking at um, your life and how can you bring that uh, need for our evolutionary body to be doing evolutionary um, habits back into you know, into what you're doing. All right. So things that I want to summarize is um, manifesting. So I'll put in the show notes, um, manifesting Matisse um, by Dr. Michelle Nielsen. And I'll give you a link for that. I actually sell it on my website. So you, you will love that. I'll give you the link to that beautiful doctor that talks about sleep and the importance of sleep, which is was really important for, is very important for our evolutionary body and the importance of REM. She also talks about vitamin D and pantothenic acid, which is vitamin B, um, and the importance of our bug bacteria to make our vitamin B. Um, and of course, our body makes um, vitamin D for us, but we must have cholesterol for that. So she, she goes through all of that. Um, she's fascinating, absolutely fascinating. I, I just loved her. I've probably listened to that podcast quite a few times. Uh, if you want any information on the farm, then just go to the Changing Habits website or ring the office and you'll hear about events that are happening on the farm, especially if you're interested in going to the um, um, farm to plate event that's on the 9th of December at the Changing Habits farm. Um, I'll, I'll make sure that we, we do events. We'll, we'll, that'll be on our event page probably. It's not there yet because we've only just said yes, so you're the first to hear all about it. Uh, what else did I say? I would would give you anyway I'll re-listen to this and make sure that everything goes on the show notes and uh, like I said we're off to New Zealand um, we have um, Africa next year where we're going to Namibia Botswana um, Zimbabwe and South Africa so we do that on September the 1st right through to September the 15th uh, we still have two seats available we had two people pull out so we have two seats available on that one and um other events that we're doing i just can't remember but just go to oh geez i wish i was karen and i could remember what i have to say at the very end but go to the wellness couch forward slash up for chat oh i remembered that she's so good at this um also go to you can go to the up for chat um podcast make sure you subscribe give us a five-star rating if you like what we're doing um, tell your friends if you, um, you know, there are there's over 250 um, podcasts that we've done. That means 250 hours of listening to us. And we will be back next week um, with more on Up For A Chat and the three of us will be chatting then. So it's over and out from the Up For A Chatters, especially me, Cindy, and um, I look forward to seeing you. I think she, Karen says at this point, I look forward to seeing you on the ride. And bye for now. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.